In this episode of the Latino Business Report, we have April Hernandez Castillo. She is an actor, author, keynote speaker, and lover of red lipstick. April is known for her riveting performance as Eva in the movie Freedom Riders. April was living the Hollywood dream. However, behind the glitz and the glamour was a woman dealing secretly with a traumatic past. During this podcast, April opens up about her painful past and gives us a behind-the-scenes glimpse of the acting industry from a professional and personal perspective. This is part one of a two-part podcast. If you're not already following this podcast, you may want to do so, so you can be notified when we drop new episodes. Part two of this interview with April Hernandez Castillo will drop in two days. Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode. Today we have with us April Hernandez Castillo. Some of you may not recognize the name, but you'll definitely recognize the face. April is an actor. She's a keynote speaker. She's an author. She is a parent, and she is a lover of red lipstick. Where that comes from, I don't know, but I read it on her bio. So let's go ahead and uh, say hello to April. April, how are you? Good evening. I am well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. April, I want to really thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today, but we have a lot to talk about. Uh, yes. April, first of all, congratulations on your new book. I mean, I, I, I do want to get to that. And just real briefly, what, what is the title of that book and what, it's, what is it about? The title of my memoir is called Embracing Me. And it is a story of resilience, of perseverance. It's my own story of being a survivor of intimate partner violence, um, but also getting into Hollywood and becoming an actor but really just the grit of what it takes a person to keep moving forward when life has knocked you down, quote unquote, um, as far as like literally being knocked down by someone. Um, and it really is just a story for everyone. Anyone who's had a dream, anyone who has felt like, man, sometimes I just want to quit, but I know I need to keep moving forward. That's that's who the book is for. So it's just not for female. I mean, it's. Absolutely not. No, the guy can no. Read it I know. I know. It looks very feminine because I've had several men be like, can I read this book? And I'm like, you out of all people should read the book. Because yeah, the cover does look a little feminine. I mean, I mean, look. right. Of course. OK, so I will wear pink or what I prefer mauve every now and then. So <laughs> I'll see about go ahead and get in the book. I'll get I'll get the book on one condition is that I get an autograph copy from you. Absolutely done. Perfect. So April, we'll get into the book a little bit later on, but let's let's go back. Let's let's go back. You're born in the Bronx, New York Bronx. Yes. Boogie down. Your mom is from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and your dad is Puerto Rican. Yes. Both of them born in the Bronx. I mean, my, my mother was born in Puerto Rico. She came when she was, I believe, around four years old. And then my dad was born in the South Bronx. Okay. So how did that experience of being born and raised in the Bronx, what did that mean to you? You're from the Bronx. You're from New York. New York, Puerto Rican, that's a whole different thing. And the Bronx on top of that, that's a different lifestyle. Absolutely. It's it was the greatest thing growing up in the Bronx, especially when I did. I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 1980. 
I, to me, it was one of the best eras, especially for hip hop and music and everything that was happening. But there was a sense of community. There was a sense of something that I don't see anymore. Um, although it was one of the worst times in New York. Kind of a tough neighborhood, um, wasn't it? It was. It was a tough neighborhood. But I think being in a tough neighborhood, it makes you become tough. And I feel like being born in the Bronx saved me and helped me in so many ways as far as being street smart. And it really allowed me to to just be able to handle myself, especially in the corporate world, in the sense of, um, you know, <laughs> being a speaker, being an actor. I don't know. It's just something about being a Bronx girl that it just helps you. <laughs> you, have a, you have a sense of pride with it. I can hear it in your voice. I mean- we are very prideful. We are very prideful. We have we have major egos. Um, we love hard. We really do. Definitely. So, and you grew up. I mean, you had two loving parents. How about your education? I mean, what was it like for you in school? Did you enjoy school? Not not like school. Wanted to get out. I loved school. Okay. Definitely. I, I you know both of my parents worked really hard to provide an education. So we were sent to Catholic school. And that was my my parents way of saying, at least, you know, we don't have much, but let's give them an opportunity. Let's give them the best education. So from elementary, no, from middle school all the way up until high school and through high school, I was in Catholic school and my brother as well. And it was the best thing that they ever did. Um, I saw some of my friends who went to public school and unfortunately still New York City, the public the public school system um, really just needs a lot of help. And it hasn't changed, which makes me very sad. But going to Catholic school really just formed my values, what I believe in, what I stand for, and also establishing my faith. Well, I don't know about you, but different generations, but I still have calluses on my hand from when the nuns used to slap me with a ruler going to those catechism classes back in the day. See, I missed that part. I missed that era. <laughs> You're lucky. There was, there was no, there was no hitting, but, but still there was a, a sense of just reverence, you know, for the teachers. And there was this respect, um, not the way it is today that unfortunately, you know, you, you, you deal with some of these youth and the, the level of respect that they have for teachers is, is it doesn't exist really. Well, high school, Catholic school. Um, but then you got involved with a relationship that just changed your life. Right. Tell us about that. It's, <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager and you fall in love, um, you feel like it's going to last forever. You never expect it to be a relationship that might almost end your life. And that's the situation that I found myself in. I was dating someone who was a bit older than I was Um, at the age of 16 and a half. I fell in love. It was my first, you know, boyfriend. How old is he? And how old is he? I want to say he was like four years older than me. Wow. Right. Which, you know, my parents really. It's it's weird, right? Because once your child becomes a teenager and you're like. Well, do they date? Do they don't date? That whole thing. I mean, at that but age, I, you were you were sixteen and a half, and he was already an adult. Correct. Okay. Right. Um, and it was one of those things that my parents, because I was such a good kid, 
Like I wasn't a, a rebel. I didn't. I didn't. You know, disrespect my parents. I was a straight arrow child. A good I little Catholic girl. Sports. You were the good little Catholic girl. Okay. I was. I was never into like lying and being mischievous to my parents. I just wasn't. Um. That that wasn't my thing. I didn't give in to peer pressure. I was a very confident, focused young lady. And then when I met this person, um, my whole life changed. And it was one of those things when, you know, when you first get hit. Um, because I was in an abusive physical, physically and emotionally. When you first get hit, you're never ready for it, right? You you don't know how your body is going to respond. The, mo- the moment that you are violated, you don't know how you emotionally will respond. And it's so easy for people to be like, well, if that was me, I would do this and that would do that. But most of the time you really react the opposite way. Um, and that moment that I was hit where I talk about and embracing me, my memoir, um, I thought, well, maybe this won't ever happen again. Where did he hit you? He hit me in my face with his fist, with his hand. It was an open hand. It was a slap. Okay. It was a very, very hard slap because he was, uh, he was very strong. He was a construction worker. So his hands were, and his hands were much bigger than mine. And you'd probably never even been hit in the face like that before. Never. Absolutely not. My, you know, I mean, I got hit, right? Yeah. Growing up in a Latino home, who didn't get hit? But my mom, like, never would hit me in my face. My dad would never hit me in my face. It was just always like, you know, that's just that's just an, another level of, like, beating your child. Mm-hmm. I didn't experience that. Um, had chancletas, had all that stuff, but never in my face. So to be slapped in the face by someone that you trust, uh, that you love... It is it is damaging. And from that point on is when the relationship just went south. But it went south for how many years? Oh, until I was about 20. Okay. And no one knew, right? No one knew about my abuse. What I would imagine. I mean, no one. No marks, no, no bruises or anything. Or did you just hide them? I just hid them very well. I hid them very well. And that's another thing about abuse is the shame is really why someone stays because they're so ashamed. They're terrified of saying anything, of being judged, um, which is always when I'm working with parents, when I'm facilitating, when I'm doing workshops, I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes as a parent because now I'm a mother, but also giving the perspective of a child, a teenager or when anyone becomes abused. It's just such a shameful thing to experience. So you're experiencing starting at 16, um, Mm -hmm. both physical and and mental abuse by a man who is a man, full grown, much older. Well, yes. Four years. I mean, at the time, that's quite a difference. Right. I'm not even going to ask that. How did you get out? That's the important part. What? Did you seek help? Did somebody intervene? Was did did you just say, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm walking away. What happens? Yeah, um, well, you know, I, I always say that everyone has a threshold and it takes a woman seven to eight times before she actually leaves a relationship. So there's seven to eight wow. attempts to actually leave um, before it happens. But give that into how long. Right. So mm-hmm. it could be a year or it could be 20 years. And for me, it was it was just, you know, I woke up one day and I knew like I didn't want to live anymore because it was the pain was just too much. What were, when, when you were when you're in that relationship being abused like that, what were your dreams? What were your goals? I mean, you were a young teenager with your whole life ahead of you. But I mean, did you did you uh, 
have dreams about doing something or were you just kind of relegated? I'm just going to be in this relationship and this is it. What was going? Oh, absolutely not. I, I, like I said, you know, I, I played sports the majority of my life in high school and, you know, just growing up in the streets, I was always very athletic. So I saw my life becoming either very like, you know, nutritionist, uh, athletic trainer. I also dreamt of playing for the, um, Olympics softball team. Okay. I, I mean, I ate, I, I, everything to me was baseball and softball. So when this happened, obviously my grades started to decline and, uh, I, and I was an, I was an A student, my grades declined and I just lost the, the love for the sport, which was a huge sign for any parents who are listening. <laughs> um, you have to look for the signs. They are always there. Um, but it, the pain became so bad of just not wanting to wake up anymore because I didn't know if I was going to make it alive, out alive due to this person, uh, hurting me. And I just said, I don't want to wake up anymore. Wow. I just, I just figured, uh, you know, suicide was never, ever like no one ever committed suicide the way they are doing now. They, they just weren't, mm -hmm. but it was a thought and that's a message that I always talk about. Just the thought of suicide is just as dangerous and as scary as the actual, you know, attempt of doing it and getting it done. But then I figured, man, what if I like live? What if I actually left? What if I found the courage to leave the situation um, and, and just and just say, I'm not I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's what I did. Where did you find the I courage? Prayed. Where did you find the courage? Where did it come from? Hmm. It definitely came from my, I had a very great relationship with my father. And I, and I truly believe that my relationship with my father is what saved me. But you didn't confide in your father during that. Time. No, I didn't. I didn't confide in him until maybe 10 years later. And as a Latino dad, he's probably ready to go find that guy and beat the hell out of him. I'm sure. Right. And it, and it was, you know, it's something, JR, it's, it's interesting because instinctively I knew that I knew that my father granted he has every right. His baby girl sure. is in a very dangerous situation. And now me as a mother to two beautiful girls, I think I would go mad. Um, but because I understand the justice system and I understand that, um, the, the, the abuser has more rights than the victim, which just blows my mind. I just knew that at that young age and I believed in myself that I could get out of it. Um, is that something I suggest? No, <laughs> but that was my story. That was my situation. And so one day I woke up and I was like, I'm done. I'm, I, we broke up and by the grace of God, he never came back into my life. Well, that's good. So he didn't go all stalker on you or coming around. Oh, no. Or... he. Oh, no. He was a stalker during the relationship. Okay. He was psychotic. He was psychotic. He he really was crazy. Uh, he, he really was very dangerous. He should have been in jail. Okay. Well, that... Um... You're you're treading into waters that are way too deep for me to get into or ask questions about. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay. Um, so let's fast forward. You went through that. Then after the relationship, did your life change? Did you become more active? Did your grades come up again? Well, and by, by that time you're 20, you're already out of high school then, right? Correct. I'm in college. Okay. I was, um, I went to Hunter college and once again, I thought I was going to become 
nutritionist and I had to take a chemistry class. And I walked into the chemistry class and then I walked right out and I said, oh, heck no, <laughs> this face and this girl does not do science. How and what am I going to do with my life? Because I barely got through science in high school. That wasn't my that wasn't my strength. And I said, oh, man, I want to do something different and completely just out out the box, like something I've never experienced. And so I discovered acting Okay. Yep. or I say acting discovered me. So which came first? Because I also saw on your resume you were a stand-up comic. Was that before the acting, or was it kind of simultaneous? Yes, yes, it was. It it was simultaneous. You could say I was. I had always dreamt of being on Saturday Night Live, and that's when Mad TV was out there. That's how I'm totally aging myself. And and John Leguizamo was someone whom I admired, and he was the first Latino that I ever saw that was doing something with characters that I could relate to. He was a storyteller. And I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. And I think I'm funny. Aren't we all <laughs> like, I just think like Latinos are funny because <laughs> we're just so animated. Um, and, and that was the beginning of, of me saying, I think I will, I want to explore this world of, of, of the arts. Okay. And my, and my mom and my dad thought I was completely, crazy because you know it was i was supposed to just get a job and get, and that's find it find a husband get married raise kids the whole thing well yes you said saturday night live and you said you were aging yourself let me age myself i was around when saturday night live was a brand new show wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah. aging myself but it was a great show great show so you you you're so you're kind of inspired by Saturday Night Live and seeing okay and then so yeah so did you start it, start doing auditions or uh, stand up nightclub gigs or what I did I actually my very first uh, audition for for comedy it was at uh, the New York Comedy Club and I remember this is when we had dial up. Do you remember AOL? Oh yeah. And I was working a corporate job, the one and only corporate job for Robert Half International. And and I was on the computer and I saw a casting and I thought, my goodness, if it's if it's not now, then when? And why not me? And that's how I lived the majority of my life. If not now, then when? And why not me? Okay. A good If mantra. I don't take this right, if I don't take this risk if i don't take this chance then i'll never know and i don't ever want to live with that regret and so i walked into the new york comedy club i i don't remember anything i remember just the room being completely dark like a true new york just that gritty just you know everyone's smoking cigarettes <laughs> and i did about two or three minutes of an audition um and i thought my goodness that was horrible that sucked. <laughs> I'm never going to make it, but I did it. And no one around me who I grew up with was doing anything to that capacity. So I felt pretty good about myself. You were definitely out and of the box. I was definitely out the box. And my mother was looking at me like, ay, Dios mio, what is going on with her? <laughs> like, who is she? Uh, and then I got, I received a phone call, right? Because I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't even have a beeper at that time. I just had my house phone. Yeah. I know. I remember when beepers were new too, so we won't go there. But <laughs> right, 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 right. And it was just receiving the phone call, and that that really was, you know, one of my first 
moments of having a yes. So that started and knowing. So is that yeah. the genesis of your new career, your new pathway in life? And my and I told my mom and my dad, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become an actor. And I started booking work. I got an agent. I started booking commercials. And then my first commercial was with Yao Ming and Yogi Berra. Um, whoa, and whoa, it whoa, aired. whoa, whoa. Back up. Back up. Yeah. Your first commercial was with who? Yogi Berra. <laughs> Yankee legend uh-huh, yes. and Yao Ming, who was for the Houston. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, tall, the tall guy, right? The tall, guy. The tall <laughs> Chinese. Yes. Um, I was. Were you? The, it was insane. Were you the basketball or what? I mean, you're, you're, you're what? Five, five foot nothing. It, I listen. I literally came from his waist down to his feet. That was my entire body. <laughs> and yet there was still so much more. He was towering over me. And I thought. Wow, this is interesting. Okay. But it was uh once again life changing. Was that, your, career was that your first paying gig or one of your one of your That was my first time where I was able to become a an official professional paid actor. Is is that is that commercial on YouTube someplace? It is. Okay. All right. For those listening, I'm gonna find that link and put it into the podcast notes. So go right. we'll we'll find that one. But okay. Didn't mean to interrupt. So you got that. You got this. This that must have been a cool experience. So how old were you when you got that? When you got that job? I want to say maybe either twenty two or twenty three. Wow. I mean, Yogi. I mean, those are legends. I mean, both of them. Did Did you even realize who they were when you when you got the job? Well, I knew Yogi Berra, of course, yeah. uh, because growing up in in the Bronx, you are born into being a Yankee fan. You don't even have an option. And, and, you know, and when I told my father, he nearly like fainted because he's a huge Yankee fan. So I was more excited about Yogi Berra, but I had no idea or no clue who um, Yao Ming was. Now, after you got that, uh, that little, uh, well, after you got that commercial, did your parents start maybe changing their attitude to your desires to be an actor? Yes, I, 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 I definitely. They saw how determined I was. They saw that I was really serious about making this happen by any means. Um, and, and I did. And I and they didn't help me because they didn't know how to. You know, they helped me by just letting me stay in their house uh, as an adult, as a younger, you know, and, and letting me go after my dream. And then I booked my first TV show, which was Law and Order. And, and, and it escalated. Uh, on, and then I booked Freedom Riders. Yes, Freedom Riders. I remember that movie. That was excellent. You did a fantastic job. In fact, I rewatched it. Um, I, I found it, and I was int- it was interesting to see how high your name was in the in, in the credit rolls at the end. I mean, yes. you were up there towards the top. I mean, there was Hillary. Yeah. There was I mean, and there's uh, was April Lee. April Lee has done this at the time. Yes. So um, yeah, it, it's it was one of those. You know, Jr. How many of us have dreams? Mm-hmm. And how many of us actually make it come true, especially when we have, you know, when we come from where we come from, when we come from the Bronx, where people are already labeling you, where statistically you're supposed to not make it because, you know, you didn't get education, you need to get a master's degree, all of these things that are stacked up against us. And then being a person of color, um, how often does that really happen? And so and it was happening and it was I couldn't believe it. I really, I really could not believe it. I mean, you had a, you had a major role in that, in that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, wow. Okay. It's worldwide. Worldwide. I, 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 
and, and I, I I don't want to sound like a, a starstruck fan here, but I'm going to get a little starstruck here. For How cool was it being on set with those actors and, and going through that daily grind, which you'd probably say, I would do this for free and I'm getting paid. How cool is that? Oh, it's so much better when you get paid because <laughs> <laughs> the checks are so nice. Um, it. it it, it, I was pinching myself, you know, and, and the moment that I saw Hillary Swank, um, I was girl fanning because I was such a huge just seeing her, how she's grown as an actor. She was a two time Oscar winner by then. And it's not easy. It's not easy, especially at that time for women to get to that level. And she handled the role with such grace. And, and it was a lot. It was a heavy, heavy movie. I didn't really understand the capacity, like who I was playing. I was playing a real girl. Her name was Maria Reyes. Um, meeting the real Erin Gruel, which we are um, still friends. And she actually wrote the foreword to my book. Really? Which was such a blessing. Yeah, it was such a, her really? knighting. You know, it was like she was knighting me because obviously the Freedom Writers Diary is where, is what the movie is based off of. So okay. having the ability to write my own story was inspired by that. Okay, For those of you who have not seen the movie, you got to see it and don't go cheap. Like I did on YouTube, actually find it, pay for it. So April can get some royalties on it. Okay. Amen to that. <laughs> so yes, indeed. <laughs> so April, I'm, I kind of uh, Googled you a little bit before the, the, uh, the interview here for the podcast, but we're talking, okay. Freedom writers, then you ER law and order 30 rock, uh, co-host on The View, Blue Bloods, uh, Nurse Jackie, Person of Interest, Dexter, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. The following, my gosh, the list goes on. That that I mean, congratulations. I mean, that's that's an achievement. Thank you. So as you, thank you. I have to ask, as you've gotten a lot of jobs, a lot of acting jobs. Out of those, how many no's did you get in between? <laughs> Are you laughing? Uh, or and I can't tell right now. <laughs> it feels like both. I. Can't even tell you. It's a tough business. I, I, it's a tough business. I can't. I yeah. I can't even tell you because there's been that many. You don't even receive a no. You don't even hear anything. They just don't call you back. Which, they just ghost. They you. just don't call you. They just. It's just complete ghost. And you, um, you have to do. You have to really have a tough skin and not take it personally, um, because it, it doesn't have anything to do with the character of who I am as a human being. Right. It is it is just based on whether I fit their project. But but we can't help it because as artists, you know, we you want to fit we, the project. I mean, you want to be because you know what you can do. And also, like we wear our hearts right right here. I, like literally my heart is here every time I sleeve. have an audition. It's right on my sleeve because we have to be so available in every audition. Every time we sit with another director and they ask us to do an improv. We are constantly operating from just pure love of the art and yet to not receive a yes, not even to hear anything. It really can send you down um, a dark hole. Okay. I can imagine. Yeah. A lot of re yeah. a lot of rejection, a lot of rejection. But this is your mm -hmm. business. I mean, you're you're self-employed. You're an entrepreneur. You're an right. author. You do speaking engagements. I even saw your mm -hmm. clip on TED Talk. Fantastic, by the way. Mm -hmm. So April, as, as, uh, from a business aspect, what keeps you going? I mean, what, what gets you up in the morning and goes, yes, I want to audition. Yes. I want to go do another speaking engagement, your memoirs, your book. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. 
Um, does it have pictures? Anything or is it just? It, it doesn't. Oh, okay, I'll read it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, you'll finish it fast. Oh, I guarantee okay. you. Okay, I'll listen. No, to- this one, this one, I didn't, I didn't put. Um, I, no, okay. no, I didn't put pictures. I'll no. listen to my hooked on phonics tapes again and try it. But okay, um, <laughs> so you are a. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, um, right? Self-employed, and your husband's also self-employed, correct? He's a photographer. Uh, He's a photographer, but he is also a, an educator. Okay. So he teaches high school boys. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. Um, Young men. So in your book or in, I don't know if it's your book because I haven't read it yet, but in one of your interviews I saw you talking about transparency and mm-hmm. the importance of that. And one of the things that really struck me is um, you're talking about somebody asked you about kids and your answer just kind of took me by surprise. Right. And... <laughs> I never wanted children. Um, never. Wh- it, it was never. Why not? I mean, I, um, I, but why? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, wh- why? Why? Because I'm a woman and I'm supposed to. But to, to take care con- to take care of you, cuando ya estás vieja, you know, when you're already old, they can at least take this care. This is true. This is true, and I have two girls, so hopefully they they do take care of me. Um, you know, I had a very complicated relationship with my mother, even up until, you know, the day that she passed away, which was five years ago. And when you have a complicated relationship with your mother, it really does something to you internally. You are always just questioning everything that you do. Um, And also from my abusive relationship, it was just this fear. Uh, I also had uh, an abortion. So that was something that I felt that I was like, man, I should never have children because I am not deserving of them. And so that's that has been the the work that I've done on myself, which is why I, I called the book Embracing Me, because it's been these last 20 years of embracing all the mistakes and decisions I've made. And now becoming the woman that I am today with two lovely, phenomenal, awesome, vibrant little girls. Well, kind of explain to me then how did mentally that that shift, that semantic jump you made from not wanting kids, having an abortion, definitely not wanting to bring children into the world and live your life the way you wanted to live it to now you have two beautiful young, 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 uh, young girls. What happened? What changed? Oh, well, I mean, my husband and I, not the abuser, I've been with my 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 husband for 21 years. We were together for 11 years and until we had my first child. And I was living in California. I was working on Dexter. We just got nominated for SAG um, award. And I was like, this is like our life cannot get any better. But his father passed away and his biological clock started ticking and he wanted to become a father. And I was like, what? What? Where did we okay. go wrong? Okay. So his clock started ticking. I never even had one. Mine wasn't even, it was out of service. Um, and I thought, my goodness, where did we go wrong in premarital counseling? We never spoke about this. We were supposed to just live in Malibu and like become these, you know, rich and famous. <laughs> and um and I spoke to my manager you, you know I asked her for her advice because I knew I knew the sacrifice I knew the sacrifice that came with being a parent I just knew how hard it would be 
especially for I mean, a woman the, who's yeah, keeping the schedule and acting and the stage and the callbacks and the auditions. I mean, that's a, that's a crazy lifestyle as it is. Right. And like, I just felt like I don't want to give that part up. I, I just think that, you know, for so long, women have has always they've always been um, having to sacrifice so much to have a family. And yet, you know, they're forgotten. And, and that was my biggest battle. I didn't want to just give up my dream because children weren't part of my dream. They just weren't. Another. And I had to get to that. And I had to get to that place where I was OK with saying that. Um, and that's where the, the gift of transparency came from, because I felt bamboozled by motherhood. I felt I felt like I, no one prepared me and, and no one did because I didn't have a good relationship your with my mother. Your children are not part of your dream, but now they're a part of your life and you wouldn't exchange it. I wouldn't even exchange it. Right. I like I can't even I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell was I thinking? But that was my truth. Um, and so the transparency really was a gift because it allowed me to set boundaries. It allowed me to be completely. If you ask me something and I tell you and it's my truth, that's what you're going to get. And it's OK. And ever since then and operating that way, I've realized that there's so much freedom that people really are not. Mm, as authentic as they would like to be because of whatever. So she allowed me to be uh, transparent. So when somebody asked me about motherhood, I said I hated it. And it was the most amazing thing in the <laughs> entire world because the, the, the less that I had to live up to expectations, the more that I was able to embrace me and finding and discovering motherhood my way. So what are your daughter's names? Summer Rose and Lila. Okay. And their ages? Nine and five. I understand one of them is turning to be a pretty good little actor herself. She is, uh, she's, she's, I mean, I'm about to become her, her PA, her production <laughs> assistant. Yes, she has, she is a professional actor. She's a voice actor uh, for the last two years already. She's on a cartoon called Alma's Way on PBS. She filmed okay, a, she, her show. She did a cartoon. So she was the voiceover for a character? Or, yes. Okay. She's the voiceover for the main character on Alma's Way. Wow. Yes, she is the voice. All right, I'm yeah. going to have to go YouTube that one as well. And I'll put it in the I'll put it in the podcast notes. That is great. Yeah. And she is a phenomenal actor. She is a true Actor, she shot her f first film last year, and then this year it premiered at South by Southwest, and I cried like a proud mom, like a baby throughout the entire film, and my eyelashes almost came off, and and, and I held her hand, and we cried together, and you, it was a moment. It was just amazing. Did you cry out of pride or a realization that she's probably going to be a better actor than you? For both. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I know that I know that she's going to be great. I know that she will win an Oscar. I know that she will do so many more things because of, you know, all the things that I never had, I'm I'm teaching her. I'm not giving it to her. You're giving her guidance. I'm 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 her hardest critic. Well good. Her hardest one. Yeah, I don't um I'm not that parent to that I don't think all my kids are amazing. I'm like if they're a little flawed, we'll work it out. <laughs> Just I don't operate at that. Oh, my gosh. Everyone's a winner. No, I don't think I don't believe that either. I think everybody you need to work hard. 
Definitely. And when it comes to work, I mean, that's one thing, a good work ethic. I'm sure your children are learning that. But I just can't can't imagine um, your husband's an educator. And uh, mm-hmm. like you said, high school kids. Yes. Uh, let's be realistic. I mean, teachers are so underpaid. I know he has the photography as a side hustle, but it's not even a hustle for him. I've seen his work. I mean, that's some good work. It, Thank he you. He does some good work. And I know that you go on his shoots with him in between when you're not working or the kids aren't around. You're out there. In fact, share with us that story about the um, about the wedding shoot that you had here recently oh. and what you did. I mean, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Uh, yes. So when I am not on set or if I'm not speaking, okay. I am let, helping my husband. Let me, let, me interrupt. let me ask you something. When they hire your husband, you show up and they realize, you know, you're like a pretty well-known actor. Does it kind of freak people out? Like, why is she here? You know, it depends. I don't ever really share what I do. I'm just the creative director. Ah, okay. So they don't even recognize And you. so they don't, co- which is incognito. fine. Okay, okay. You're, okay. I am incognito okay. because, you know, it, and it depends. I mean, some people Google and then they find out. But I just, I always feel like that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I'm very good at my job. I'm very good at bringing out the star that's inside that person. That's my job. Okay. I'm the director and I have to bring out whatever is in you. So that way we capture it on camera. Well, t- t- and so we were, sh- yeah, yeah we ahead. were, we were hired for a sweet 16, which we usually don't do. We don't do events like that. Um, and the mother of the young lady was busy and the young woman who's just beautiful, had no makeup and no hair. And I'm like, what, <laughs> who's doing your hair? And she says, no one. And I was like, that can't happen because we have to take your photos and this is our, <laughs> this is our brand. And I jumped in and I was doing her hair and I don't do hair. I can do makeup, JR. I can, I can make a woman look absolutely fabulous, but I just don't do hair. And jumping in and doing her hair, her mother at the end was very emotional. And she said, the way that you jumped in for my little girl is only what a mother would do. And I was like, wow. But also the performer in me was like, this is what we do. We look out for each other. You know, we 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 have to do this. And I think it's just always wanting to give people this experience of working with my husband and I that that will make us stand out. Because, I mean, photographers are a dime a dozen. But in business, people will work with who they like. People sure. would work with people who do just over what what do we say under promise over, over deliver. deliver people buy from people i mean they got to like you <laughs> yeah exactly and so you know she was like i'm going to refer everyone and i'm like great awesome so now you're a hairdresser too absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> april we are almost out of time on this one as i as i told everybody at the beginning of the podcast this is this is just part 1 of part 2 so uh, we're going to be back. Um, you've been listening to uh, the Latino Business Report. My name is J.R. Gonzalez. I've been your host today, and we're here with April Hernandez Castillo, actor, keynote speaker, author. And uh, in part two, we're going to find out why she is a lover of red lipsticks. Mm-hmm.